Welcome, everybody, to the Not So Common Podcast. I'm Pat Contry. How's everyone doing? Today's Tuesday, August 7, 2018, in semi-balmy San Diego. Not to get into, you know, massive climate change um, propaganda, you might say, <laughs> but it's been a little warmer than usual this summer in San Diego. So I'm hoping that this is this is not becoming the norm. Last year was a little bit warmer than it was uh, usually as well, and, and this year it's sort of like the heat's been trapped here. But this is then, then again my first summer at Castle Country, so I'm hoping maybe this is just how it is in this new environment in this new uh, like mini mini like climate pattern around this uh, where I live this area. But we'll see. Otherwise, the world's going to end in like 20 years uh, due to us just dying of heat stroke and uh, the coral reef being. Uh, destroyed which half it's gone already and then polarized cap melting yeah fun times fun times either that or the zombies will get us the retro gaming zombies that uh that's what happens when you go to the swap meet and wario bites into your arm you turn into one of them hope you're all doing well out there <laughs> i almost had a guest this week unfortunately the person was very busy i call him mr comic-con you might know who i'm talking about and so he'll try to get back with me in a future time but that's all right we're going to discuss some things some happenings. Uh, people want me to talk about the Alex Jones situation getting banned from uh, Facebook, Twitter, uh, YouTube, and I believe Spotify at the same time. But I saw first, uh, I'm going to be at a couple of conventions coming up soon. I'll be at Game On Expo. Yay! In Arizona, Phoenix, uh, August 10th and 12th. That's this weekend coming up. As soon as you hear this, go get your ticket, book your, book your hotel and flight and get out there. Why not, right? Get your Uber. Uber from Montana there. And then I'm going to be three conventions in September, Retro World Expo. That's the first weekend of September around the 8th or 9th. That's in Connecticut, Hartford. And then a video game con returning to New Jersey the middle of the month. And then at the end of September, uh, Retropalooza in Arlington, Texas. That'd be like my fourth one already. And that's one of my favorite ones of the year. Uh, yeah, that's what's going on. I also have up for early bird pre-sale of Ultimate Nintendo Guide to the... SNES, Super Nintendo, SNES, whatever you want to call it, library. So it's it's up for uh, early bird pre-orders. You can get it a few bucks cheaper than what you will on the Kickstarter later in the year. But you can always wait till the Kickstarter. It's up, up, up to you. And it's going to come out by late spring. That's the plan, conservatively. So go to ultimatesnes.com to get yours uh, there. So I saw Christopher Robin in theaters a week ago. That's the, um, it's not a reimagining or reboot, it's a continuation of the Winnie the Pooh story. And that series, you know, started in what, the 1920s they were written, something like that. And then uh, Disney bought them out, what, like in the 70s, and they started doing animated movies and specials. And uh, most of us listening probably knew them from the new adventures of Winnie the Pooh, I believe that was the late 80s, early 90s on ABC used to air them. You know, Pooh Bear, Winnie the Pooh Bear. So Christopher Robin takes place about you know 25 years after he's a kid hanging out in the hundred acres uh, woods uh, with uh, you know uh, piglet and Winnie the Pooh and uh, Kanga and Rue and whatever the owl's name is I forget and uh, ER and Tigger so it's a grown-up Christopher Robin and it's and you, you know this type of movie you've seen it before it's about making sure you still don't lose what what makes childhood special and keeping in touch with what makes you happy and family is important and all that. We get that. And I knew that going into it. I still didn't expect to cry like a baby throughout the movie. 
in terms of the amount of it might have been the most tears I shed for a movie, but in terms of percentage of time I was either tearing up or close to tearing up, it, it by far was was number one in that, in that movie list for sure. I'd say about sixty percent of the movie I was either like <laughs> or like <laughs> or like you know not like sobbing outright, but close to it. Like you get that feeling where your face like squelches up, or you're like <laughs> like you feel like the tears are gonna come out. It was rough, some of that. Not just because... It was a nostalgia hit, for sure. Because you're seeing the original voice, uh, I think it's Jim Cummings, uh, of Winnie the Pooh. And I I think some of the... Unfortunately, some of the other older voice actors died for the other characters. But they sounded like, you know, Piglet and and Tigger and and Eeyore. They, They sounded just like them. I think Brad Garrett was Eeyore, did an excellent job. The writing was on point for the characters. I'm not a big... Uh, Winnie the Pooh lore person in terms of like knowing you know all exactly how they should be and the history of all the characters but to me based upon my experience with the prior cartoons it seemed accurate you know they even worked in some of the songs uh, there's like three songs in the movie that worked in from the the previous incarnations from the animated specials in the series so they did a good job with that the CG was incredible it looked so real like I saw one dumb review on IGN by the way, they're not having a good day because of the, the plagiarism going on with one of their writers that got caught. But uh, the IGN review said like it, w- it was too creepy because the stuffed animals looked too real. But you want them to look real because they're coming into the real world, they're stuffed animals, and that's how they originally looked. In the original story, uh, Pooh, Tigger, Eeyore, uh, Kanga, and Roo, th- those were all, and Piglet were stuffed animals, and then the, the rabbit... And then the owl were real creatures. I think that's because the original, Chris, the real life Christopher Robin, those were the stuffed animals he had, which uh, they are for view. I think it's a New York Public Library has them. Like, and they're in pretty damn good shape. The original stuffed animals that Christopher Robin had uh, back in like the twenties. It's incredible they they were they they're in that condition that they weren't torn apart. I tore apart like a good number of my stuffed animals. But hey, it was you know he probably should have collected some Nintendo games because he would have taken great care of them in the boxes and everything. So. The themes are what got to me, though, because I'm, you know, I'm not a kid anymore. But this reminds you of what it feels like, feels like to be a kid. Ooh, and McGregor did a great job because he starts up as a stuffier, older guy with a bad office job. Who doesn't have that, right? Who had? Who, I had a bad office job. I'll talk about later on the podcast. But it's it's all the you know Disney themes of remembering that family's important and that there's going to be a scene where it gets mad at Winnie the Pooh, of course, and that Winnie Pooh get Winnie the Pooh gets sad and the whole audience starts crying. And, um, yeah, all that stuff happened. Like, you can, you know the plot beats that are coming. But that still doesn't give it an emotional punch to the gut. That's why I was so shocked that this got, like, only a, only 67% on, on uh, Rotten Tomatoes. Only, like, two-thirds of reviewers enjoyed it. Because you either don't have a soul to not feel this in some capacity or, or something's going on. Uh, because even though this is, like, the typical Disney movie, like I said, it, it's executed so well. The, the daughter's, uh, like like so magnificent in terms of how she acts with the family and you totally buy her innocence. Um, Haley Atwell, that's a little cliched about he, she's like the, you know, the doting, uh, wife, but I love Haley Atwell. I'm sorry. The goddess, but you know, but she does a great job in her limited amount of time, what she has to do. And, uh, yeah. And, but there's some heavy stuff going on in this movie. This is some spoilers. Uh, the first like 15 minutes is a montage and it starts with Christopher Robin, like his his last day hanging out with Winnie the Pooh and, and all the friends. They have a picnic, 
And even that's like emotional when he, when he leaves. But then it goes through like how harrowing his life is after that. He gets sent to boarding school. And then his father dies. It's not clear if it's father and his mother. I think I believe his father dies after he's in boarding school. And, he, and he's picked on in boarding school. And he's having a rough time. And then it fast forwards to he's in World War II. Fighting the Nazis. Yeah, there's actually a World War II scene in Christopher Robin. I was like, holy shit, this is... That's when I said to myself, this is not a kid's movie. Like, I mean, you kids can watch this and get something out of this movie. But this is really an adult movie that kids can happen to enjoy as well. Sort of like The Incredibles 1 and 2. Or some of those Pixar movies like uh, Up. They, they're really suited towards adults first. to get the mo- They get the most out of the themes and the writing and the characters. And this is like a character tale. Uh, more so, that's it's really driven driven by uh, Christopher Robin's progression and how he comes to terms with who he's become, forgetting what made his childhood so great and his love of his stuffed animal friends. I don't know how you become an adult. Say, 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 say for instance, this was real. There was a, a human being that, and there, that communicated with real stuffed animals that were adorable. I don't see how you could ever get jaded with life having adorable creatures you can go back and visit. And I don't know how Christopher Robin has gone back and visited them in the past 25, 30 years. I'm not sure how he, he ever did that. I spend all my vacations with those little guys. I'm not sure. But, <laughs> but that's me being too critical. But... It's it's important to me, this movie, because it hits upon what I'm starting to experience in my own life and realizing that what is really important sh- is shifting. And it's shifting from, you know, not worrying about um, working too hard for, in this case, a company. I used to, and I killed myself for a company in the past, and that was a big mistake. But you have to sit back and enjoy life at times. That's that's one of the themes of this movie. And Winnie the Pooh is obviously the... The, the, the person the, the perfect person the perfect character then buys that spirit because all he does is eat honey all day and he, and he and he's a slob and he and he sleeps all day so I'm not saying you should be that a hundred percent but all of us should have a little bit of poo inside of us pardon that pun we should have a little bit of Winnie the Pooh inside of us or remember to take things a little easier just a little bit easier don't you know remember you have family and friends remember you should have fun every now and then and you know and and that's really what keeps uh, life fresh and was, what keeps things going. Don't worry about. I mean, if you can get away with it, hopefully, or you know, the job that works you to death. Don't worry about working yourself too hard or hustling and bustling too much. Just, just take a step back, as Frank would say. It's like, yeah, you know, relax a little bit. Just, you know, he said, he's, he's told me that. He's like, you know, I, I know you're working hard, and you know, but maybe a little bit. You, you came back. You take it back a little bit. Take a take a half step back even, and see if that improves things. See if that improves your lifestyle overall and it gives you more energy for your your work or other activities or your hobbies and that's and that's what i took away from christopher robin besides it being a nostalgia punch to the face with cute uh, lovable creatures that and, and moments where you know i was this close to bawling like a like a like a baby besides that there were some nice messages here even though they were predictable and you can see them coming a mile away and there but there were good uh, well-written jokes in there as well so so hats off to disney that's what I say. Hats off to Disney uh, there. So that's what's going on with Christopher Robin. And we go from the world of cute, cuddly creatures, adorable, innocent things, to Alex Jones. Alex Jones, of course, runs InfoWars, which is the, I guess, um, media independent media group that espouses conspiracy theories and, and uh, New World Order uh, conjecture. Uh, 9-11, inside job, things of that nature. 
that's that's what you expect to hear from Alex Jones. I think the guy's in his mid forties. Uh, Infowars has blown up the past few years. He's a big Donald Trump supporter because he believes that Donald Trump is the the enemy of the new world order. Of course, that to him is like this um, cloak and dagger group of uh, elites that are really running all the governments and you know they they control everything. And they may be like children blood sucking vampires. I'm not even making that up. Like there's all there's all things. Go watch him on the, the, the he was actually on the nine eleven episode of. Uh, the Joe Rogan experience, the 911th episode. And he talks about multiple dimensions and blood-sucking vampires. And if nothing else, uh, Alex Jones, if you don't take him seriously, and you really shouldn't, it's it's entertainment because you can't believe that someone actually says these things and can honestly believe them for more than a second. But I think he does. But then again, he went to court uh, during his divorce hearings for custody of the children, uh, I believe. And he said... Uh, that it's all an act in order to keep his kids. He said, no, I don't believe in the stuff I say. It's all an act. So either you're, if you actually follow Alex Jones and you want to believe what he says, you either then have to think that Alex Jones was saying that just to keep his his kids, or you do come to terms with the fact that he's an actor and he's getting one over and everyone with all oh, with like the Pizzagate conspiracies and, and things of that nature. Um, but there's been other things that I, we, we Ian and I were asked about this on the CEO podcast about Alex Jones about if he should be banned or if he should get thrown off of YouTube and I know in the past he's had certain videos uh, getting taken down but just recently in the same within 24 hours Twitter Facebook YouTube and Spotify there might be one more it's MySpace he's in MySpace they banned all the Alex Jones I think all but one on Facebook got banned but all the mainstream Alex Jones and Infowars Twitter accounts uh, excuse me, the Twitter, Twitter account was not banned, but Facebook, YouTube, Spotify, those were all uh, banned and gone, absolutely gone. So obviously they talked about it behind closed doors and they said, well, we want this guy uh, gone. So there's been a lot of reactions uh, with this and from everywhere. And there's been some nuanced reactions. There's, there's been some cries of, of this should have happened way long ago. There's been cries of, this is a censorship. So I'm trying to I'm trying to going to try to parse this out the best way I can, which of course, if you're listening to the audio podcast, you're probably the more reasonable person. But if you're searching for Alex Jones reactions on YouTube, you're probably going to come at me whatever I say. Either way. So either way I don't care about that. But this is this is my honest take on what's going on here. First off, uh, is it censorship? If you want to get technical, no, it's not censorship because censorship happens when the government steps in and punishes you for your speech, jails you, fines you, or prevents you from speaking. Uh, from speaking, that's the government. When it's companies in the private sector like Facebook or YouTube, uh, they can basically do what they want. You abide by their terms of service. If they feel that they're, you're breaking their terms of service, they can get rid of you, and you really don't have recourse. Now, if you if you disagree with that. You might disagree with that, say that's censorship or it's dangerous that uh, all these Silicon Valley companies are banding together to, to do this. I'll get into why I think that happens specifically in a bit. But if that's the case, and, you know, Alex Jones has money, you know, he sells his uh, his uh, mind pills and other stuff like that. He can sue him. He can take him to court and see where, where that happens. Well, you can say, well, that owner shouldn't be on him. Well, like I said, I don't think it's censorship outright. But if you want to talk about whether or not it's a First Amendment issue, Regardless of whether or not you you agree that um, he should not have been thrown off these sites, that it's a dangerous precedent for for free speech. First off, I don't think it's political because Alex Jones to me doesn't represent conservative values or liberal values. He just represents crackpot conspiracy theories. That's what he represents. 
So that, that and so he'll probably jump on one side of the of the political spectrum with one argument and another side of another. So from that perspective, this is not political to me at all. You might say, well, he supports Trump, but I don't think that has anything to do. I honestly don't. You might think I'm naive. I think it's just because of the of the the, the things he espouses and the trouble he's gotten into. He's getting sued by uh, parents of the Sandy Hook uh, massacre. Those are the children that were were killed. Um, in the school shooting years back. And, and Alex Jones has said that the crisis actors, the parents, it didn't really happen. And just total, total lies, obviously. So he's being sued for slander. So slander is not covered under the First Amendment. It's not. Slander is not covered. Uh, what else is not covered under the First Amendment? Uh, threats of, of violence are not covered. So recently, the, the one that made the headlines recently, and I even saw articles pissed that YouTube didn't do anything about it, uh, Alex Jones, in, in a video, uh, threatened uh, independent uh, special counsel Robert Mueller, the one that's investigating the, the potential ties between the Trump campaign and, and Trump to Russia and what, what on during, during the election. So Alex Jones is pissed because he thinks that Robert Mueller is part of the New World Order and that Trump's fighting the New World Order. So, so they're trying to push Trump out and get the New World Order back in power. So he goes on video and it's, it's, it's more than a veiled threat to Robert Mueller about, being, about taking the guy out. So, and that's a public figure now, Robert Mueller, too. So that's more than enough uh, for a threat of violence, especially it's, it's somewhat when it's when it's on social media you might have unhinged followers to begin with and you have people that you know there was that one person that uh that went into the the restaurant that people thought that was like the child sex slave stuff was having with the pizza gate stuff there was a nutcase that went in there and shot up the place thankfully no one was killed so, so these are the type of people that are susceptible to conspiratorial ramblings of, of this nature unfortunately so i would take it very seriously uh, not from Alex Jones doing himself, but just him threatening one of his crazy followers and saying, oh, I want to take this guy out, potentially. That's scary, that notion. Uh, so this was a long time coming from that alone, but I think what happened also was this. I think these companies are afraid of liability now going forward when it comes to uh, people espousing uh, totally just fake bullshit ideas that can get them in trouble or can maybe divide us and I'll get into the division that happened before and and just they don't want their think their platform to be used for these what they think are nefarious means so again I think it goes, I think it goes well beyond a political uh, stance so recently Mark Zuckerberg got dragged on the Capitol Hill and did awful when he was talking to you know Congress about uh, Facebook's role in the 2016 election with Fake news postings that Russia backed, and that's all documented. Troll farms and and money uh, boosting what looked to be real news stories, but they were fake and paying a little bit of money. You boost them and they get spread out like wildfire, especially in the battleground states. Uh, Russia going on both sides of issues like Black Lives Matter, doing uh, pro and con posts and news and really stirring the pot. They did a damn job to fuck with our republic. Uh, before the election in 2016. They did a, a fine job, probably beyond their wildest freaking dreams, uh, they did. So Facebook's still answering for that. You've seen those ads playing for the, to put out the PR nightmare that Facebook's been under the past uh, year and a half since people are realizing, yeah, uh, Facebook's been used against us, used against the U.S. in a big way. We are more divided than we've ever been, partially because of that bullshit 
on Facebook and on Twitter with fake accounts pushing, you know, fake uh, Ru- Russian uh, puppet and troll accounts pushing bullshit uh, way before the election. There's one I used to see post all the t- time. It was always at Tennessee GOP. It was TN underscore GOP. They would post just absolute, just uh, propaganda. But it, it, it looked to be a, a GOP account in the U.S. And there was always tons of likes and tons of retweets. So you find out later, and it comes out revealed, that was a Russian account. <laughs> and, and it's like, well, not a huge surprise. But, you know, when you, when you go on uh, Twitter, you can, get, you can buy retweets. And if you have a whole system where you, you promote your own uh, tweets with retweets and comments and likes, they could easily do that shit. And they did. They did it on Twitter. I saw it personally because whenever I searched for stuff before the election, I saw that one account because there was tons of uh, comments and, and retweets and likes and half of those or probably most of those were fake or, or puppet accounts. So that happened on Twitter. It happened on Facebook. Uh, it, it, it's divided us and it was bad. So that's what I think part of the concern is with, with, with YouTube and Facebook. I think that's part of it. I think also they don't want to give someone a, a platform to to... to spread slander like with the with the sandy hook hoax crap that's been espoused i don't think they like a google or facebook wants to be sued by anyone because they can come back people can say well you let this guy use your platform to say this patently false shit we're suing him and we're going to sue you because you let him do it and get away with it we think this is i'm just saying hypothetically this is a lawsuit we think that um he broke your terms of service. You didn't do anything about it. And now we're damaged because of that. Like, for example, the one family from the Sandy Hook, uh, they are getting harassed. They've had to move out of state, uh, they feel, because of Alex Jones calling them crisis actors. It's, it's beyond the pale. I know that. But this is stuff that's actually happening in this world. People are actually going out, listening to what Alex Jones is saying and believing it. Um, hook, line, and sinker. For, and, that, and, that's, and that's cute. When it's like chemtrails or turning fr- uh, stuff that's turning the government's turning frogs gay, it's no longer no longer cute when the parents of dead children are accused of being actors and that the, the event didn't occur. Then we're talking about something entirely different. That, my friends, is no longer protected under the First Amendment, in my opinion. When it's slander, when it's damaging people, when people's lives are getting affected to that extent. It's not political speech at that point that's protected. It absolutely is not. I'm sorry. It's not. Threats of violence, spreading uh, information that's that's you know is false and that harms people, that's slander. Um, and so that's the situation I think that's been happening with InfoWars. And I know there's people out there, even people I respect, saying, oh, this is a slippery slope. Even though Alex Jones is is, is garbage, um, I'm paraphrasing, he should be allowed to say this stuff. And the slippery slope argument is interesting just because it's always the, it's it's so hard to say whether or not something's going to become a slippery slope off the first thing. So I would argue this about things being a slippery slope, especially in this case, that you need at least two or three occurrences for something to be that slippery. But this is special because I don't know how many. Uh, independent media companies, if you count InfoWars as one, are doing things to the extent and saying things like Sandy Hook is a hoax, threatening Robert Mueller. I don't know how many are doing that besides this one. So even if more than one got thrown off and banned at Facebook at one time, um, 
then you, we can have that argu- ar- ar- argument that this was a slippery slope that, slope that started with Alex Jones. But I, I don't think I think it's a far cry to say because Alex Jones and Infowars was tossed off of these of YouTube and off of Facebook that because of that that's open game uh, for for conservative uh, channels to be thrown off. I don't think it's that because this is again this is not just this is not to me a political uh, ch- a channel. It's not. To me, even though politics does come up, I think this is this is something else. This is something in the realm that we have not seen to this extent. A channel talks about UFO conspiracies and and blood sucking parasitic vampires. I wish I was making that up. And how the Earth has like has um what was one thing I heard that was insane that the Earth has like a three D hologram around it. And that the New World Order is controlling all of the, us, and then Pizzagate and everything else, and all the and all these everything's a false flag, including innocent children being killed. That's a lot different than saying, "Oh, I'm a Trump supporter." I think that's a far cry, and that's why I don't think. Of course, I can be proven wrong. I don't think this is a slippery slope yet. But then again, we'll see if they start if they start throwing off uh, conservative. Uh, voices off of YouTube where I feel that there wasn't a real reason to do that. I'll be the first one to say that I was wrong. But I think this is a liability issue. This isn't just talking about politics or social issues. This is something else. This is clear. This is close to fire in a, th- in a yelling fire in a theater stuff. This is a lot closer to, to that area of, of speech versus political speech. And I'll leave it at that when it comes to Alex Jones and Infowars. You might, you might disagree with me, but if you disagree with me, you know, or maybe the maybe the the stuff that turned turned the frogs gay turned me gay. I don't know. Maybe I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> There's entertainment value with Alex Jones, but when he ta- when he gets into dangerous territory, yeah, that's when people are like, okay, what the fuck's going on? All right. Um, blah, 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 blah. And by the way, Alex Jones can still post videos on his own platforms and his websites. He can still do his own podcasts. Uh, you know, wherever he wants to, just not. With these public, uh, these with the other platforms, um, he can find other avenues. So it's not like he's totally sil- silenced. He can go on Twitter. He's still on Twitter, I believe. And you can even embed video on Twitter. You can do that. Alex Jones is Alex Jones on Twitter. Uh, yeah, Alex Jones is now talking about uh, warning to the world on internet censorship. So he sees himself as a martyr now, and that's really the bad news about this. Unfortunately, is that he he's been martyred now because of this. So. He's got 854,000 followers, Alex Jones. All right. So hopefully he can still make his money off of the mind pills and the, uh, the I saw like the, what was it? The one thing there was like some wound dressing gel and the guy had cut himself to demonstrate this gel that you put on wounds. That's going to, that's going far to get your Infowars dollars. It's going far. Let's talk about some Q and a stuff. This is from at 81 arcade. What line of work were you in before YouTube? You always mentioned hating it, but not what you did. <laughs> I don't like getting into the specifics of what I did for my previous job or jobs. It was an office job. It was market research. Um, I'll say that. It was working in a cubicle. It was working, doing the work of two to three people. I was good and efficient at my job. I always was, for the most part, efficient at the jobs I did when I cared. Because I always felt that good work would get rewarded. You work hard, people recognize it, they would give you a higher salary and a, and a bump in position. But I was naive and young, because that's not always the case. A good company will see a hard worker, 
someone that goes out of the way to do extra work and they will reward you for that. And they will say, wow, this person's super valuable. We, let's make sure they stay with us and that they, they we see that he's appreciated or she's appreciated. They won't then go look for another job. I was not even stupid. So I felt that I, I owed something to the company that hired me because they chose me and you know they were paying me. That's not it at all. That was a tough lesson to learn. So my job, I, I went well above and beyond my, my pay grade and, and, and uh, description and did a lot more and trained and trained more people than I should have been wrote like a huge like training manual and did all this stuff that wasn't really in my job description besides normal work. And I wasn't rewarded for it. I was rewarded by getting more work. That's what, that's what my reward was, was getting more work. So that's what I, I try to tell people is that never be loyal, never show loyalty to an organization unless they earn it first. And just hiring you is not enough. They have to treat you well. They have to give you respect. They have to pay you well. They have to have a good work environment for you. If not, you do the bare bare minimum if you don't think you're going to be... Now, if you think it's a good company and that they're going to reward your hard work, then yes. But the minute they show they're not, then you talk to someone. You say that. You say, listen, I did this, this, and this. I went well above and beyond. And I expect that to be recognized in writing, by the way, that this was something that I did for the record and that this is going to lead to promotion and or you know, pay raise. You have to, you have to fight for this stuff at most companies, but at, but at a good company, they'll at least, someone will be looking out for you, like a manager or someone in HR will look out for you and say, okay, that person, Pat, that's a good worker, or Kelly's a good person, or, or Mark, or Sarah, or any of the generic names I can think of. Those are good people. Maybe if we can't pay them right now, come back to this end of the year, we're going to have something for you. And, and stick with companies that can keep promises. Ones that don't, that's when you start looking for a new job. So if you're mistreated, you obviously look for a new job or you complain about it. But um, obviously your mileage may vary, though, depending upon, you know, if you're lucky to have a job or maybe it's the, the, the market's tough for your for your um, industry, I get that. But if there's choice, if you can slide around in industry, the company, you don't owe them shit. You really don't. Look out for yourself first when it comes to working in the business world. You, be loyal to not the company itself, but the people that were good to you within the organization. Always remember them. You don't want to burn bridges with them, with those individuals, because if it's a small industry, you might they, they'll be looking out for you. You'll be looking out for them in the future, in, in either in, in new jobs or new positions, or just working together in some capacity. So be loyal to the good people, the good the good workers that you know, the people that are friendly, the people that look out for you, that won't stab you in the back. Because yeah, I was stabbed in the back on for getting people taking credit for my work. Absolutely. Or going over the top, or not liking the fact that maybe um, I was doing more, and that it was making others look bad every now and then. I'm not saying I was a super worker, but you know, sometimes people don't like it when you go above and beyond with certain work because uh, it makes them look bad in their position. So that's what I'll say. That's my that's my working advice. <laughs> don't show loyalty to an organization unless they do it to you, and keep it up. That's what I'm gonna say. There. Um, this is from at Kate Cora, 42. Hey, Kate. With all the negativity and darkness in the world, what are some things that bring you peace of mind? What helps you remember the good in the world? Th- now, this is an interesting conversation to have because I think what happens is that it's hard with social media, which is becoming more and more, I think, to the detriment of society 
day to day in the bane of the world. There's good to social media. It's, it's a great dissemination of information quickly, unfiltered, raw information. I first noticed it during the during the uh, what was it? When they had those protests in Iran in 2010. That's when I first noticed that this is going to be a thing. Or 2009, even though it got squashed, it was good for spreading information around quickly. Then obviously now it's like the preferred social networks, like Instagram and Twitter. Facebook's almost old hat. Facebook's going to be MySpace in a, in a few years potentially. You know, it has it has a possibility distinctly, unless they turn things around here and there, especially with the data mining going on and not knowing what's what's happening with the fake news posts and our elections getting getting uh freaking infiltrated potentially, and getting uh, certain states getting influenced by fake Russian news anyway. So the good news is that the world there's still good in the world. The bad news is that you don't find it on social media as much. Unless you follow like the Bodega Cats account and see cute cats hanging out, you know, in local 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 stores, local food stores. The world in general is better than it's ever been. Climate change is one thing that's scary. Still. But in terms of war, disease, starvation, it's getting better and better generation after generation. There's less wars than there ever was in terms of, you know, number of people getting killed every year. There's these massive world war world world wars will probably knock on wood never happen again because we're so interconnected now with communication and we're uh, interconnected economically globally that makes it harder to have these big outright conflicts. That's the good news about globalization. Uh, not just you get Coca Cola, McDonald's in every country, but now it doesn't pay. War is now super costly, a lot more costly than what it used to be, even 80 years ago. You know, so. There's less of that. Uh, we don't have massive plagues anymore. That's great. We're not going to. It's be hard to to have the zombie apocalypse. In all honesty, we have a handle on most of that. There's less uh, less starvation, uh, by and large. If a drought, a giant drought hits certain parts of the world, other countries help out. There's aid that happens. A hundred years ago, twenty years ago, they'd be they'd be goners. There'd be no way to know people were in trouble uh, before. Uh, so. Yes, bad shit still happens by and large. We know about it, though, more. With the information age, all the little bad shit we know about that we wouldn't know about before. But but the the bigger stuff, the bigger bad stuff, I believe there's less of. Statistically, there's just less of it. You know, we're not we're not dealing with constant giant wars happening anymore. There's no more hundred years wars that are going on. <laughs> there's no more constant wars, no more constant... You know, uh, over 80 years, 100 years where the two countries are killing each other every generation. That stuff's not happening to the same extent anymore. That's the good news. So with all that said, what can bring me peace of mind? What helps you remember the good in the world? What helps you remember the good in the world is that there are good people out there doing good works. That's part of it. You need to look at things at a micro-macro level. On a, on a micro level, I, I know the good people that I surround myself with, uh, friends, uh, family, people I see at conventions coming up, people that you grow to love over the years, uh, people that you work with that you're close to. And doing good works locally sounds cheeseball, but just the interconnectedness that we have with each other and being trying to be a good person and those all around you, I do believe in paying it in the paying it forward uh, theory and the fact that an ethos and the fact that the more nice you are to people around you, they'll be nice to the people around them and then hopefully it spreads on a macro level and then globally and kumbaya. Yeah. I'll start singing it. I'm not, and I am a cynical person for a lot of things, but I do believe that 
being good to each other individually does matter globally because I don't think you can be good on a larger scale unless you think about being good on a, on a, on a smaller scale. I know that sounds cheeseball, but I believe it. What helps to remember the good in the world is the fact that people are still doing good things. Uh, Doctors Without Borders, there's tons of charitable organizations, AmeriCares. People are going out of their way to do good things. Charity, people do charity work. People still work in soup kitchens, things like that. I do a little bit of the part. I do a charity marathon every year. And sometimes I struggle with saying maybe that's not enough, but at least I'm trying to do that. You know, and, you know, and giving here and there. I'm not saying you have to do all these things, but at least think about it. Think positively. Just think about the little things. Think about the people in your lives. Think about helping the people you know that are in trouble that you know. It doesn't have to be with money. It just be a, just give someone an ear. Listen to their uh, their problems. Listen about what concerns they have in everyday life. Do you have experience that you can share with them? Maybe you've gone through it before. Uh, sometimes people want an ear just to yell about their problems. And sometimes, you know, sometimes they... they, they they like advice. I'm not saying you got to mansplain everything to them. <laughs> Ask beforehand. Um, I don't. I never thought I'd ever use the term mansplain. Unironically, the term mansplaining. <laughs> but um, what helps me remember the good is that yeah, there's there's tons of uh, tons of good going on. Um, I, I'm not a fan of him on the court and his personality, but LeBron James just opened up that school in in, in Akron, Ohio. What he put like tens of millions of dollars, eighty million dollars he put into that school. For kids and help the parents find jobs. There's people doing good things all the time around you. There's people trying to fight what they think is the injustice of the world. So that's what helps me remember that there is good in the world because there are good people in the world. Good people, I'm hoping, outnumber the bad. It's a lot easier to be a bad person, unfortunately. It's a lot easier to succumb to greed or gluttony or the, the fucking deadly sins and I'm talking like I'm in Catholic school again it's a lot easier to do that it takes a little more hard work and discipline to be good and to be good to each other and not take the easy way out and to not take, take shortcuts but it's possible it can happen thank you so much for the question Kate as I'm now becoming a self-help help coach I guess on, this, on the not so kind of podcast uh, this is from that Boomtown Fox Thoughts on the obesity crisis in America. Oh, yes, it's a crisis. I can't help but notice how many people, especially young people, are overweight. Is it time for the government to step in? And this is where things get a little scary. Because I don't know if, if it's the best solution is to for the government to step in and tell people not to drink, you know, giant big gulps and to not eat, you know, chocolate bars more than they should. I don't know if that's the issue. I, we've already raised the taxes on cigarettes to such an insane amount. But what I mean insane, I, I hate cigarettes. I don't think you should smoke. I think if you, if you think, I think if you smoke cigarettes, something's wrong with you. I, I just do. There's no logical reason for it. It can kill you, emphysema, cancers, but also costs a lot. It yells your teeth. It makes your skin fucked up and everything else, your nails. But anyway, that aside, you know, cigarettes are taxed more than they ever were before where some, was it some states like 20 bucks a pack of cigarettes when it used to be like five or used to be, I remember they used to have the freaking the little uh, vending machine, cigarette machines in the 80s up until the early 90s. So I'm not saying the government should tax cigarettes at $100 a pack because of what that's going to do then is people just be out of more money to get the cigarettes because people will always do things that are, will harm their bodies. I don't think there should be a soda tax. I don't believe in those th- sort of things. Let people do the things that they want to do if they're legal and let the chips fall where they may be. Maybe potato chips on their belly. So... What the government should do, though, I would say, not 
step in and enforce policies that people don't do bad things, but do what they can for outreach to encourage good behavior. What if the government had programs to encourage wellness and health and exercise? And I know they've they've tried it in the past. It's tough, though. Uh, It's tough. I I think the answer to the obesity crisis in America, and that would also, that dovetails into health care costs, because you, you drop if you get rid of the obesity obesity crisis, uh, you then healthcare costs plummet because preventable preventable diseases then go down heart disease some forms of cancer that are linked to obesity, um, for example things of that nature, uh, and then you know things and other other things that happen diabetes adult adult diabetes linked to uh, being overweight and, and so there's a lot of preventable diseases that would not be eliminated entirely but you, you really you'd really swing away there and, and really chop into the problem for some of these. So what the government has to do, if you want to call it that, I don't know. I think it's more of a, more of a local government issue versus big federal government. I would trust the local governments and state governments to promote, have programs for children to play outside more. Uh, education of parents, what they should be feeding their children. Watch out for Stuff with, you know, high fructose fucking corn syrup shit. The fucking high scene and juicy juice. The stuff that I drank as a kid that was, you know, that was killing me as a child and making me a chubby, chubby, husky, husky uh, pants wearing Pat from, from Sears. You know, that's where the government, I think locally state should really, I think, be doing education. School, maybe having uh, after school programs for children to exercise and, you know, things of that nature. Funding those sort of things. Having uh, cafeteria programs where they're healthy, healthy food items for kids to eat. My my cafeteria in school actually had a soda machine, and kids would you know they did have a milk program, but they had a soda machine out front uh, in the cafeteria, and they you know I'd have fifty cents, I'd buy a coke every day and have it with my my sandwich that my mom would make, and hopefully throw a little sweet sweet pickle in there, a little gherkins pickle. Looking back, that was insane that a 10-year-old kid would be drinking a full can of soda for lunch every day. Just no need for that. It's, it's just, it amps you up. It's way too much sugar. It didn't contribute to my health as a child at all. So government shouldn't be saying that's bad, but maybe the local schools should be, no, they should be talking. The federal government should be saying, shouldn't be stepping in, but maybe the local government should, should be saying, or local school systems should be saying, you know what, maybe we don't have the, we don't offer that during lunch we don't have a, i know it makes us money that's the thing though i, I can't it, it all comes down to money i hate to say it even even going to like catholic school is that you know how much money that the, the school made off of that vending machine how many kids bought sodas every day and they had to know that that was bad for kids to drink soda every day drinking freaking uh sun-kissed orange orange soda yeah, it's healthy it's, it's orange juice no it's fucking awful it's awful you're gonna be fat people are gonna be calling you fat pat in fourth grade, which they did, drinking that garbage every day and drinking Pepsi and drinking 7-Up. You know, so I, I think it starts smaller, educating parents. The schools have to get involved, I think, on that level. And then having uh, exercise programs for kids and things of that nature. I think that's where it starts for the young children. The adults, now that gets a little dicier. Because that you start young and hopefully when they get older... You know, they, they realize that, hey, I can't be eating a, a full bag of Cheetos every day. That's not good for my health. And it doesn't set a good example for my child or children. That's tougher to work that issue out once you're an adult. If you don't have healthy habits ingrained with you, you have to learn them. You have to have, 
you have to start exercising and start eating well. That's tougher. I, it's tougher to change an entire population when you're already it's already ingrained with you. You're 50 years old. You're 60. At that point, if you're already uh, you know set in your ways, you're probably not going to change. It's a lot tougher. Of course, there are exceptions. You have to start when they're young, and hopefully, in a generation where healthier, you're starting with the, with the children. At the, at the adult level, oof, you're going to have to incentivize in some level people to be healthy. And that goes into uh, maybe tax incentives for health care, lower health care costs if you, if you keep yourself healthy. And that's something I thought about logistics of. And it probably would be workable, but there'd be resistance to that. But you'd have to have some sort of, I hate to say it, monetary incentive for healthy behavior to encourage healthy behavior as an adult. And that, because money talks, I hate to say it. Money does talk, and and that's where I think we would eventually get to the point where we we'd have a a society that would be more open to wellness and holistic health when there's there's an incentive to do it. I hate to say it, it's selfish, but people can be selfish uh, there. But starts with children, educating parents, making sure kids eat properly and exercise well. Finally, at Konacha, thirty seven. How about something personal? You said you have a sister. How was growing up with a sister? I had one sister. I still do. She's married. Uh, big sis. Um, how was it growing up with a sister? Well, I, it's hard to compare because how would I compare not having a sibling? I'm glad I had a sibling. I always wonder what would happen if I had an older brother or younger brother versus you know, a sister. It's, it's, it's a lot easier for boys to identify with each other versus uh, you know, an opposite sex uh, sibling. But I got along with my sister well. We played board games. Um, we played like kickball together. Now, on my block, though, there weren't many boys my age. A lot of the boys were like three, four years older. And that's a huge gap when you're like eight years old or seven or ten. That's a big gap. Three or four years, I think, at points. I thought it was four or five years. And so I got picked on by the boys. The girls, I hung out with the girls, a group of girls. The group of girls were like my age or a year younger, a year older, or a few years older. There was a group of like seven or eight girls. On the block, I hung out with them. I was like the little boy hanging out with the girls. Um, we we play you know tag games and and uh, manhunt and things like that. And sometimes the boys would play with us too, but that was like a different group usually. But um, it was interesting because I was, I was around a lot of girls uh, in the summers, uh, especially before I got uh, before I got my bicycle. I say it's up until I was until I was like eight. When I when I got to be like eight, I had a lot more friends that were. Boys, but especially when I was like four to like seven, and I couldn't like bike around to other towns yet. Um, when I was younger, I, was, I knew mostly girls outside of school, so my sister would hang out with them, and so I was always like, I got along with like the younger girls. The older girls would talk about older girl stuff and freaking leg warmers, whatever else was going on in the eighties, and you know the big teased hair and. The, the charms, they had the charms. You ever see the charms? They, the plastic charms, they still have those, I think. Anyway, but um, my sister treated me fairly, but she did bully me from time to time. If she actually listened to this, she would agree that when they were playing with their Barbies, you know, four, uh, four houses away, uh, my sister would go, Patrick, go get my Barbie case. And I'd be like, I'll punch you if you don't. She'll admit to saying this stuff to me as a kid. So she would threaten me because she was four years older, and I'd run back and get her Barbies. And with, uh, she had a welcome back Cotter doll instead of a instead of a Ken doll, which is still hysterical to this day that my sister didn't have an actual proper Ken doll. And I got her Barbies and her clothes, and I bring them over. Um, and I didn't think it was it was anything strange, you know, hanging out with my sister and you know a group of girls. It was different. 
Uh, I eventually, of course, then, you know, I did gravitate and play with other boys on the block once I got, I had to get older. I had to, like, like earn the respect. I had to hit, like, I want to say, like, nine years old, ten years old, and that's when I really started hanging out with the boys on the block more because there's a smaller difference between, like, ten and thirteen than, like, seven and ten or six and nine. You bridge the gap a little bit. You can keep up with them athletically a little bit, playing street street hockey or football or my favorite street tennis and that's what i did but um i'm happy i had at least a sister i i often though sometimes wish what it would have been like to have a brother someone i could probably identify with a little bit more and even today talk to more but maybe maybe they would have been domineering maybe maybe they would have been an asshole maybe i would have bullied a younger uh you know a younger brother i don't know you you can only answer these questions you know uh thinking about a fantasy a fantasy about what would happen if you had other siblings. But I'm happy at least I have a sister that I can confide in and talk to. And I visit once a year. And you got to come out there. You got to come out and visit me in San Diego. Visit Castle Country. You haven't been out here. I'm living here for nine years now. And you haven't visited me once. Come on. Come on now. I've been back home like five, six times. You got you to you you visit here. Uh, big sis. Got Castle Country ready to go. I got an extra bedroom or two. <laughs> so it's going to move aside the, uh, the uh, NES Sharp TV that I have there. That means piss about me for, for never trying out. The Not So Common Podcast is proud to be working with NordVPN. It's what I use to keep myself safe online, and you can too. If you care about your privacy and the security of your information, NordVPN is now offering 77% off a three-year plan when you go to Nord. VPN.com slash Pat or use code Pat at checkout. VPN stands for Virtual Private Network. Today, having a VPN is more critical than ever. Why? If you're doing anything online, your info and browsing habits are out there for people to get a hold of. ISPs can track our every move and use our private information to their benefit by selling our browsing habits and even slowing down the websites that we visit. When you use NordVPN, you have access to over 4,000 speedy servers in 62 countries. And those connections secure your information using military-grade encryption. That means your information and what you do online is nearly impossible to track. I use the NordVPN app on my phone and my laptop. That means safer web browsing when I'm getting free Wi-Fi at, my, at an airport, coffee shop, hotel, traveling, wherever. I know things like my passwords and banking info are masked and harder to get at. Don't just, don't just listen to me. The folks at PC Mag made NordVPN their editor's top VPN choice. Just one account, one account, lets you protect up to six devices that you have there's an app for android and ios devices unlimited bandwidth and a money back guarantee and a quick aside here hopping on servers around the world as nordvpn does let you do may have a few other benefits like accessing streaming services in other countries again to get that special insane offer which breaks down only two dollars and 75 cents per month go to nordvpn.com slash pat or use code pat p-a-t and get going with your secure web browsing today i think that's it for this not so common podcast again i will be at some conventions coming up game on expo in arizona i'll be at uh, retro world expo in connecticut in september and then i'll be at um a video game con in new jersey and retro palooza and then of course port and retro gaming expo in portland in october please subscribe to my youtube channel for listening to this if you're an alex jones a uh, fan who hates me, give me a chance somewhere else. Maybe you like my Christopher Robin talk before my discussion of the movie. Or you can subscribe on your platform pod, uh, your platform podcast of choice, your podcast platform of choice. This is how I can tell I'm hungry. iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Podbean, wherever you used to listen to podcasts. You can uh, like the podcast. You could 
Leave a comment. You can spread the word on social media. Let everyone know how much you love or hate me. Finally, if you want to help directly support me in the podcast and my other work, check out my Patreon. It's patreon.com slash patcountry. Thanks, and I'll see you either at a convention or next time here or on the Completely Unnecessary Podcast or wherever else I decide to broadcast from.